What is up, everybody? Before I get started on today's uh, CSG special, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Now is a good time to go to bfwdenver.com, because they're always open at bfwdenver.com. Order yourself a wine bottle, get yourself some swag, uh, maybe even book yourself a virtual wine tasting, which is you know very hot right now. Or if you feel comfortable, if you're vaccinated, Get your butt down over to the dairy block and uh, enjoy some that 2017 Cabernet. Enjoy some of that Blake Street blend. Uh, I'm a partial to reds, but they've got all manner of whites down there. They've got Rieslings. They've got blends. They've got uh, uh, rosés. Basically anything you would need from maybe the best wine uh, bar in Denver. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwdenver.com. When you go in or you speak to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you down there. This is Chris Fusley, owner of the Blake Street Tavern. Do you like to play games or watch games? At the Blake Street Tavern, you can do both. We have 69 high-depth big screens, an award-winning underground social games room, features pool, darts, papa shot, skee-ball, giant Jenga, and cornhole. Okay, so what's it going to be? Watch games or play games? Dude, figure it out. I'm just the guy doing the commercial. It's the Blake Street Tavern at Park and Blake, where Denver watches sports. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Morecast, this CSV special. Uh, I am Today, I am joined by a special guest. I haven't had him on since... Oh, I think last year. Uh, it's my friend who I've known for, uh, I think, almost as long as I've been doing this podcast. CSG is now 10 years old, so not quite as long, but almost. It is my friend from the Action Network and the insider, the Nuggets insider from uh, for 104.3 The Fan in Denver. That is my friend, Matt Moore. Hello, Matt. Hey, buddy. Good to be on with you. Glad to be back on the show. Glad to see you. Glad for another Nugget season. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I was just listening, by the way, to the archives of CSG, and I was listening to your first ever episode uh, on oh of, of CSG back in 2012, because that was the one week I wasn't there, and Nate and Roth did it. And uh, yeah, that was bad. That was blast from the past. I, uh, you were doing it in Ross's, uh, that, that bedroom in Ross's house. <laughs> That's it. So we've come. I remember that. I remember that either. It was, like, <laughs> it was a it was a fun experience. I would love coming on the show. I always my favorite part of the old show was was the Ross's on assignment. <laughs> I, always, I always enjoyed that. Well, last time I saw Tim Connolly, he says he's convinced that Ross doesn't exist, and uh, I've called Ross uh, the uh, Bob Sakamano of uh, CSG. So um, uh, people who love Seinfeld will get that reference. Um, Anyway, anyway, uh, we're here to talk nuggets and everyone else is doing season previews. Forget that stuff. I've done my season previews. I'm, I just want to talk about the NBA and I've got interesting subjects I want to talk to you specifically about because I am no longer an insider, but we do have an insider with me. I said, explain this with uh, Mike Singer when I had him on last week. I, I, I am not an insider anymore. I have uh, I am on the outside due to choice. But I need to talk to people who know. And the people who know better than me, I want to have on this show so I learn a little more. And Matt is one of those people. And specifically, I am very curious about the relationship 
and the dynamic between Nikola Jokic and uh, Michael Porter Jr. And uh, the reason I became uh, uh, curious about this was I heard uh, Michael Porter Jr.'s podcast he did with uh, J.J. Redick, where uh, Old Man in the Three, by the way, if you want to look it up. Um, it is an interesting podcast where I learned far more about Michael Porter Jr. there than I have from actually covering him. And his, his answer about Nikola Jokic and saying that he thought Mason Plumlee was better when he first saw him essayed to me something that has just kind of, kind of crystallized into my, into my mind about uh, the Nuggets basketball is that right over here on this planet is Michael Porter Jr. Over here on this planet is, is Nikola Jokic. And in the struggle for the, in this season and uh, the hopeful future of the Nuggets is finding a way to get these people to visit each other's planets. And, and right now, I just, I want to know if you think, as someone who's, who's uh, been around them, do you think that they could bridge that gap? Good question. I think, I don't foresee Jokic and MPJ forming a lifelong friendship I think that Jamal Murray and Joker when Joker goes into the hall Jamal will be there Jamal might introduce him uh Jamal will be like going crazy for him all of those types of things I don't think that they'll ever be close I don't think MPJ and Jokic will ever be close um I think it's important to kind of understand whether it's in a year, in five years, in eight years, whenever, Michael Porter Jr., I don't believe will retire with the Nuggets. I believe Nikola Jokic will retire with the Nuggets. A lot can happen. The NBA is drama-filled. Just check out the Ben Simmons situation for that. Um, but it's my, it's my opinion that Nikola Jokic will retire a Denver Nugget yeah. and, um, and go down as the greatest Nugget of all time. And... Michael Porter Jr. Will, will likely move on. I think ultimately, and this has been the case for some time, MPJ creates an impossible problem for the Nuggets in terms of he is too good not to see it through until you no longer have the option of playing, paying, uh, running through MPJ you have to because he's too talented. Um, I do think that they will learn ways to play together. There have been other combinations in NBA history that weren't, that did not, they didn't vibe. They didn't right. get along, but they figured out how to play together over a long enough period of time. And like a good comparison, I think in this, in this aspect, if we're comparing big threes, I wouldn't put these players on these guys scale because they're all hall of famers, mm -hmm. but you know, Ray Allen didn't get along with Paul Pierce and KG, Paul Pierce and KG were close. They were on the same wavelength and Ray Allen was just there. Ultimately Ray left because the Celtics did not want to pay him. And he went to Miami and won a championship and beat, you know, the Celtics. But, but when they were there between 2008 and 2012, that three-way partnership worked great. And I think that's kind of a, a decent comparison for, you can work together on the court, even if you are of such different minds. The bigger thing is just the MPJ. A lot of this is just MPJ continues to struggle with how to play five on 
five basketball, but the net results are too good to think it's a serious problem. That means that it's not going to work or it has to be solved. Is it ideal? No, but I can't describe Uh, sorry about that, folks. Uh, we had a bit of technical difficulties, but uh, you were talking about, Adam, uh, Matt, you were talking about, um, you know, MPJ learning to play 515 basketball uh, before we had some uh, issues. So uh, kind of finish your thought for, from there. Yeah, I just think that MPJ continues to have issues with like, you know, it's not his individual skills. It's the five on five part where it looks clunky or mistakes are made or all these type of things. But ultimately, the problem is the Nuggets beat their opponents when MPJ is on the floor and MPJ's numbers are great. Like at some point, no matter, this is what I think is fascinating is at some point, no matter what the eye test says, it's not showing the results. This is a, a fascinating thing with MPJ. I don't think the eye test shows the results, mm -hmm. which is strange because I'm usually the other way, Yeah, but this is kind of how it is. And so ultimately for all the issues with MPJ and the feeling with MPJ and the nagging, like this just doesn't look right, or this doesn't work, or he just makes so many mistakes. It, it's ultimately not a problem because the results speak for themselves and the results are really good. You know, it's fascinating to me because I, I'm, I think more than anything else, and you put, you point out something that is correct. Uh, a lot of those teams, dynastic teams in the nineties, uh, even going back to the eighties, uh, had a lot of players who just did not get along with each other, but they made it work. And I don't think that this is a, a lack of uh, Jokic uh, and Porter not getting along. I think it is a, I don't think they understand each other. And I really think, I really think that goes both ways with both of them. I, we also, we know that Jokic uh, gets frustrated and does not under, understand a lot of the things that Michael Porter Jr. does. Uh, I could probably include some other people on the team and Michael Malone in that. But Porter looks at Jokic, and I think I just get the feeling that he doesn't understand how Jokic plays basketball either. And so I, those things I just am trying to compute together. I think uh, we, were, we were in the locker room once, and we were talking, Nicola made like an incredible play. I forget when it was. And TJ McBride was like, I'm going to ask him like how he calculated that this was the right move. And I was like, he didn't. Yeah. And he's like, well, he had to have, like, have a sense of it. I was like, no, he's a bird. I just said it, and it made the perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Jokic is a bird. He plays by instinct and feel, and he has an intuitive sense. Birds will travel thousands of miles with a specific target in mind. Their actions are not random, right? It's all part of this elaborate ecosystem, this evolution that has gone on for millions of years to bring birds to where they are as an evolved organism. Yeah, Jokic is like that. Yeah. yeah. MPJ... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, look this is one of the issues um this is not based off of like i'm i don't know these guys i don't have any sort of i like i don't have any sort of sense of them uh so this is not based off of like intellectual intelligence or even emotional intelligence because i don't know them mm -hmm. i will just say this Jokic is such a smart basketball player that he is like talented and gifted he's a savant yeah. MPJ is a pretty dumb basketball player. <laughs> like he doesn't have to be, be that. like, there are lots of really smart basketball players who are not nearly as good as MPJ. Yeah. Who will never be as good as MPJ. 
Yep. Like MPJ is a 6'10", 50-40-90 walking bucket. He's a yep. great rebounder, which I didn't think he was going to be. Like, mm-hmm. you can win a championship with Michael Porter Jr. That is like, I'm not trying to say this, but MPJ, it's clear when you watch them that MPJ struggles with the non, and when I say traditional, I more mean like where the game is now. Like the game in most places is pick and roll, spread, one dive, you know, some isolation basketball. Michael Porter Jr. would fit fine on any of those teams, but he plays next to Nikola Jokic, which means you play an entirely different style of basketball than the right. rest of the world. Right. And that, I don't think that there's ever going to be like a natural fit there. If anything, I think that really what the Nuggets need to do is they need to find more ways to build offense into their broader offensive scheme that is Michael Porter Jr. basketball right. to get the more, more the most out of him. Yeah. Because every player that they've brought in helps facilitate Jokic. It's guys that move the ball, guys that are smart, guys that have high basketball IQ. And mm-hmm. with MPJ, you just really need to let the man cook sometimes. You need a good screener who can dive and let the man work. And it's hard to build in isolation into those kind of things, but that's honestly what the Nuggets need because it can be very successful because of MPJ's singular and exceptional talent. I got a theory here, and I, I, I think I want to run this by you because I, I the Nuggets offense, uh, if you remember back in 2017, 16-17, uh, that was humming. That was Jokic ball, you know, the ball popping thing. But as I remember, they had a couple guys who would isolate, uh, Wilson Chandler and Danilo Gallinari. Um, both of those guys would just kind of freelance. I drove Jokic nuts, um, but the, the Nuggets offense was uh, absolutely smoking. Uh, I, I, I haven't seen the Nuggets offense that good since, oh, I don't know, uh, the, the, the early 90s. And I think when I saw that, I'm like, okay, that's an interesting way to incorporate kind of that sort of thing. But the problem is I don't necessarily think right now that, that Michael Porter Jr. can quote isolate in the way that you can like break a guy down off a dribble or uh, kind of pound the air out of the ball and then shoot, you know, a jab step uh, 18 footer like Carmelo Anthony did. There is, there's, he's not there yet. And so I think you that is, so? I, I don't, I mean, just like, I, I think more of what I'm thinking is with the dribbling. Cause he has actually, I, that we've heard that his handle has improved. I have yet to see it. Um, I would need to see his handle improve first is before so I, think, I get there. I, I, my only argument on that would be one guys don't challenge handle enough in the regular season. Like yeah. they just don't yeah. like it's, it takes, it's, it's hard work to challenge a handle. Um, you'll run into a handful of guys that will, the other thing I think that that the playoffs were a little bit different because you're it's not just individual challenges of handle. It's your primary defender challenging your handle and then guys coming over and swiping too. Right. And that's where you ran into trouble versus Portland. Right. You know, but in the regular season, I think that he can probably create enough space. Like I would feel totally comfortable with MPJ in triple threat position where Carmelo used to operate. And like, I hate that style of basketball. Um, and I think that largely it's counterproductive, but part of it is it's more productive with Mel with, with it's more, I, this is, here's a blasphemy. It's getting more productive <laughs> with MPJ. Cause he's a better shooter than Melo. Yeah. I know everyone's going to freak out at that. I'm sorry. He is. Mm-hmm. He's 50, 40, 90. Mello was never 50, 40, 90. Nope. Like, 
the efficiency matters. Your efficiency has to be so surreal in those situations for it to be productive, mm-hmm. but it is with MPJ. It would is. Like it absolutely. Did. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah. And, and let, let me t- just kind of throw this there because I, I, I think we're coming back to the dynamic and uh, thank you for indulging me on this, this, this subject because it's fascinating me because I, I really do think the issues between the two of them are just how, like when I say issues, it's just, I, I don't want people to think that they're, they have personal issues with it. They don't. Um, but I think basketball wise, they just exist in two different planes. Um, and incorporating this, this specific year is I think probably the best opportunity they're going to get without Jamal out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because just because there's, they got to have time to force themselves to actually work on it rather than relying on the, the Jokic, uh, Murray pick and roll. Um, there is, they, they had, they're forced to do it. They had, they have no other choice. And I think that's the good, the, the best way to do it is to kind of force yourself to do it. I don't know if it's going to be successful is where I'm at. I just don't know if it's going to be what everyone thinks it's going to be. That's where I can't get mentally. I think for me, I'm a little bit skeptical that this is the best approach. And the reason is, uh, a lot of this, when you talk, we talk about the dynamic is that there's a way, there's a way that Nikola Jokic thinks basketball should be played. Mm-hmm. And there's a way that Michael Border Jr. thinks he should play basketball. Yeah. Like that's a good way to compare it, right? Yeah, that's, that's like, it yeah. is that Jokic, with Jokic, it's about how everyone plays mm-hmm. together, which is a very Euro ball concept yeah. versus American basketball, which is like, I'm this type of player. I'm an exceptional talent. You know, just let give me the ball and let me figure it out. And I don't know that having to work together is like the best approach for them, which is one of the reasons I think that they like, this is why the guard issue continues to be a little bit like a lot of debate. This is why we're debating. Like should Monte come off the bench? Should Dozier start? Should Bones start? All these type of things. Yeah. Ultimately, I think that in order for them to coexist, a lot of it's going to have to be Jokic, really recognizing like i'm tired it's the third quarter i'm in you know it's the third night third game in four nights i'm tired here like you could because jamal would do this and Jokic was fine with it jamal would just take possessions mm-hmm. and that's a lot of it so like just let mpj take some possessions right. and you just chill save your energy so that you can be the player that you need to be in the rest of them and like letting MPJ kind of dictate things. This is, and this honestly, to me, in my opinion, has been a failure by the coaching staff hmm. that they have tried so hard to get everybody vibing together on the same core team principles, which in general, I agree with. Like, I agree, like, that's how I think basketball should be played. It's yeah. one of the reasons I like how Coach Malone has coached the team. It's why I like the team that the Nuggets have built. Mm-hmm. However, I just think if you're going to accept that MPJ is on there and he's too talented for you to move and you've got to work around him, mm-hmm. you have to accept that you're going to have to have exceptions. And one of the exceptions is just MPJ is going to be MPJ and we got to let him be MPJ. We've got to let Porter Jr. be Porter Jr. as opposed to constantly trying to make Porter Jr. into, and a lot of this I think is built on, they got Jamal to become something entirely different than who he was when he came in. Right. Like, right. And that's a credit to Jamal. Mm-hmm. I right. don't think that MPJ is ever going to do that. I think that those efforts are in vain. I don't think, M- I don't think MPJ is going to evolve 
to a place where the next team that he goes to, he's like, well, in Denver, we played this style and this is what we should do. I think he's just going to be who he is because he's never going to stop being as talented as he is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And, you know, I kind of want to, uh, this is the last thing on this. Cause I, I, I have this, this isn't really, I don't know if this is a hot take or if this is a, uh, uh, what this is, but I, I um, have recently come to the mindset, and this is just me coming to this conclusion, uh, not based on anyone I've talked to. And um, the only thing I've, I've talked to people around the league about is contracts and if they're tradable or not. And someone told me that next year um, and, or even the year after, the Porter contract is probably going to be just fine and just tradable if the Nuggets choose to adjust uh, what they need to adjust. And uh, we aren't there yet. We don't know. But if the Nuggets don't see how this can, quote, work in a, in a sense that gets them wins, the guy I see them moving on from is Michael Porter Jr. Because he has uh, a regard in the league that is quite high based on the way the NBA is played, as you pointed out. Um, if this, the worst case scenario, it just doesn't work. Um, you, you, you get not, I mean, that he can't be traded this year, but you know, next year or the year, year after, can you see the nuggets just saying, look, we gotta, we gotta adjust this because not only are we way over the cap, but uh, we need to make it to where we get players that work better with Nikola Jokic. No, no. So here's why. I'll, I'll put the caveat here first. You you will turn out to be right if MPJ makes it uncomfortable for them. Right. If MPJ is disruptive, if MPJ is complaining, if MPJ is pouting, if MPJ uh, is spouting off in the media, if MPJ demands a trade, these type of things, then that's that's where I think I think that the front office will be like, this isn't worth it. Yeah. Because they just they always kind of move on to the next thing. They don't they don't languish. They're just like, okay, this isn't going. We're gonna move on, right? Like Sorry. they they gave Malik Beasley all these years to try and make the jump. He never he made a little bit of a jump, but and to make himself tradable, but not enough to be like we have to devote ourselves to him. So they traded him. Like Yusuf Nurkic was a pain, stormed right. off the bench. They traded him, right? Like right. if it's just they just don't mess with these things. They're just like why spend time on this if it's so much of a problem. However, I don't I don't think I think MPJ wants to win. That's one yeah. thing I will say for him. He's not more focused on his individual accolades than he is on winning. I think he just has a high confidence that he can help them win. Yeah. If that doesn't happen, the problem I think, Jeff, is if you're the front office, how do you get value back? Yeah. You have a player on a $100 million contract, right? Mm -hmm. Or more. Yeah. That's this massive max contract. How do you get return on that? For, for a team, bear in mind, for a cap-strapped team, that is trying to win a title. Yeah. Like is, is uh, this is a genuine question. Does Bradley Beal help this team more hmm. than MPJ? I don't think so. No, I don't either. Because you have the scoring scoring's not a problem for this team. Right. But MPJ's rebounding and his individual threat from pure shooting is like, would Bradley Beal be good in Denver? Yes, he would be excellent in Denver. He would play the best basketball of his career. Like, it, it would be an amazing fit. But, again, 6'10", and I, I, am, I am estimating that MPJ will improve his, th his free throw percentage, which has been lower. 
in time, I believe MPJ will be a 6, 10, 50, 40, 90 shooter. Mm-hmm. Those do not exist. No, no. Like they do not. finding them is just difficult. So if you're the front office, it's not just a matter of this doesn't fit. This isn't working. It's making like, we can be like, this isn't our best path. It's that you have to say, who can we get? That's going to be better. Right. You know, like right. a great fit for this team. If he was engaged would be Ben Simmons. You're not trading MPJ for Ben Simmons <laughs> with where it's at now. No. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Jimmy Butler is an all NBA talent. The front office would not trade MPJ for Jimmy Butler. Right. If Miami were interested, which they wouldn't be, but if they were. Yeah. Um, let's see who else. Who else is like a phenomenal talent? Zach Levine, I think, was all NBA worthy last year. His numbers yeah. were terrific, efficient. Shot 50% better from the field, 40% better from, from, the, uh, from the stripe, great free throw shooter, high assist. He's really an underrated playmaker, et cetera. You're not trading MPJ for Zach Levine. Right. So right. this is where I think the problem becomes is uh, it would have to come to a head. Now, the only other option here, I guess, outside of MPJ making it unten- untenable is if Nikola Jokic went to the front office and was like, this is not working. Right. All right. But I also, I, can you ever in your life see Nikola Jokic walking into the front office and demanding one of his teammates be traded? Um, yes, because it, well, never mind. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I think not now, no, because I think, I think he's relatively happy. Someone in, someone in the league and not in the, associated with the Nuggets told me this once, and I, I think this was it's just something that made me laugh, and I, it took me a while to kind of think about it. And I've said it on this podcast, is that uh, Nikola Jokic is probably his ideal uh, team uh, and the Nikola Jokic team would be uh, him and four Gary Harris's. <laughs> Someone in the league told me that because they all cut yeah. to the basket and, and do all that. That's his, his ideal team. And I'm like, yo, you're probably right. So you're never going to reach the ideal. You got to work with what you got. And I think that where we're at right now is that I'm not, I'm, I'm, I, this is got turned negative. And I, and I, I don't, I don't mean it to, because I, I, I just, it's a question that is going to be circling in my brain all year is how these two exist. And um, if they can make it work, it's going to be really special. And I think that part is what Nuggets fans are holding on to. And I think that from what I'm hearing from you, uh, Matt, is that I think you think they can get there too. I, I think it's, it's less that they can get there. Yeah, it's that this team had a 116.3 offensive rating last season, which any season before it was only it was only six last year. Mm. Any season before it would have been the, the best in NBA history. Um, they've been top five in offense almost every season. Like a lot of this is if you surround Nikola Jokic with competent personnel, mm. you're going to have a top five offense. And so, th- I mean, this really is a lot of it is. I, in the preseason, I, I went to the Wolves game. Yeah. At Pepsi, at ball, sorry, not Pepsi, ball. <laughs> um, and I was in the corner. So I saw this possession. They ran three straight sets where MPJ flared to the corner. And on the first one, he drove when he should have shot. And on the second one, he shot when he should have drove. <laughs> and on the third one, he didn't make the right cut and just sat there disengaged. And like Jokic was not mad, but you could just watch him being like, no, no, you should, but 
Oh, okay. And I think, but then you look at the end of that and the starters still killed the wolves when they played, they mm. lost the game because the bench. Yeah. But they, they still killed the opponent when they play. This is the thing is like, <laughs> this is the thing with MPJ. He makes a million mistakes and he takes questionable shots and forces it sometimes. And then other times tries to engage too much in the team game and doesn't shoot when he should. And you have all these things and you're like this, that, and that. And then you look at it and he finishes with 25 points, 10 rebounds, shot 50% from the field, hit six of eight threes. And the team was like a plus eight when he was out there. And it's just, this is just how it is. Some players are so talented. You can just figure it out. I think that there's fewer than that of those players than some GMs in the league think like most GMs are like, if we got talented guys, we'll figure it out. Right. I think that that's not always the case. I think Nikola Jokic specifically means that you're <laughs> the bar for failure is so high. Like in order for you to, to like, in order for you to succeed, the bar is so low rather is a better way to say that. Like, okay it's just very difficult for you to fail offensively when you have Nikola Jokic and on the floor for 35 minutes a night. And that's where a lot of my confidence comes from. It may not look pretty, but in the end, there's too much talent and Jokic. Well, I, I, uh, I, ho- I hope you're right. And I think you will be, I, I, like I said, I came off negative on this and I don't really intend to be, I just, I, I, I got the questions and I, if anyone you're, listens, you're a, well, you're a, <laughs> let, let's be real. You're a fire starter. Like you're a fireball. Like you like being the like, let's stir stuff up here. And you know, I will say this. So, Jeff, like I predicted, I have officially predicted the Nuggets on two podcasts, and I have bet them several times to win the NBA title. Oh yeah. When I've never done that. Wow. And I if you ask me when I got to Denver in 2012, will you ever think the Nuggets will win a title? I will say no, I will never believe that the Nuggets will win a title. I will never be this spot, but I've done that. And yet, as the season approaches, my only thing is I'm like, man, like, what if the whole thing just collapses under the weight of expectation and the fact that Malone's been there so long and they tune him out and they have just one of those years from hell? Like, there's still that concern because these things are unknowable. But I will just say, I continue to kind of believe that the front office has had such a healthy approach to things. And it's, it's on either end, right, where you have a very calming influence in the front office and you have a very Zen approach with Jokic on, on the court. And in the middle, I think you have a lot of complicated and fiery dynamics, but they're balanced by those two cool ends. You have two blocks of ice with fire in the middle. And that I think is why the Nuggets sustainability has been so good. Well, I, I, I think you'll be right. So uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we get back, uh, we're going to talk about some things that have been going on in the NBA. I really want to get Matt's, uh, Matt's opinion on, uh, but we'll be tackling that right after the break. All right, we are back. Okay, Mr. Moore, a couple things have happened the last couple days. Uh, The extension deadline, the early extension deadline uh, passed yesterday, and... uh, and notably, one DeAndre Ayton did not uh, get a early extension done. And there has been a lot of discourse about this, about whether Ayton deserves the max, whether uh, what is this the revenge of Robert Sarver, 
all this stuff is, has been circulating out there. From your 10,000 foot view, what, what's happening? What do you think is going on with what the Suns are thinking uh, with this uh, extension for uh, Aiton? I think this is what it comes down to. Um, Aiden wasn't the driving force behind their title run. He was instrumental and crucial. He was particularly important in the matchup versus the Nuggets. Yes, he was. Um, he'll be very important if they match up with the Lakers again. However, uh, I think there's been some oversimplification with the discussion around it. The simplification has been Sarver's cheap, which isn't wrong. I want to be very clear on this. Not mm. wrong. <laughs> Sarver's cheap. But think of it this way. Um, what's the Suns window here? Next five years, maybe, if they can find, if Booker makes an evolution where he jumps to CP3's level of greatness. Mm -hmm. Like if Booker becomes a top five player in the league, then you're set. No matter what, the Suns control their future with regards to DeAndre Aiden. That's how the rookie scale works. Because even if, Aiden, you know, goes through the season and makes a leap and becomes a superstar and demands a max contract in the offseason. Either the Suns will offer it then and he'll sign it because he gets the extra year. Or let's say he's mad and he's like, no, I'm screw you guys. I'm going to sign with somebody else. Somebody else offers a max contract. They will just match it and they'll still get him back for another four years. Right. So, they control the next five seasons of DeAndre Ayton's career, no matter what. The ball is in their court. The MBPA probably needs to address this. Yeah. But, you know, it's a, th it's a thing that continues to be an issue. Like, for all of the problems I have with player empowerment, this is one area where I don't think players are empowered enough. When a team has literally said, mm, we don't believe in you. And, the, and that player has no recourse. Where it's just like, no, I'm just stuck here. Right. Um, they may lose him in five years when his contract his next contract is up he earns a max they sign him and then he's like yeah you remember when you didn't want to sign me to the extension yes yeah, screw you i'm out that yeah. but by then chris paul is long gone mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. mikhail bridges probably gone cameron Payne gone cam johnson gone probably devin booker's probably still around but we'll see devin booker is a superstar and those guys tend to have certain markets they want to play in so what you've really done here is you haven't caught what's the opportunity cost with Aiton is what you have to ask. Yeah. Um, a topic yesterday at Nuggets practice was actually to compare it to Denver. And this is how I put it. Booker is Jokic. Chris Paul is Jamal Murray. Uh, the, the Suns have Chris Paul in a better contract number wise than Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray's better value because he's younger, but that's kind of the comparison. The third level down is Mikhail Bridges versus Michael Porter Jr. Again, Bridges may not score as much, but his defense makes up for it. And Bridges makes significantly less than MPJ. They got better value on that deal. Yeah. So now you're into Aaron Gordon versus Aiden. Okay. Should Aiden make more as the fourth best player on a team than, than Aiden? You can argue Aiden's better than Bridges and that's fine. But ultimately if you put it on that kind of scale, I think it's fine that they haven't done this. 
do I think that this, like, do I think Robert Sarver is a good owner? I don't think so. Like there's been historic precedent for this, but mm-hmm. he did build last year's team. Like he did hire James Jones. He did shell out the contracts for Chris Paul and um, re-signed Bridges and re-signed uh, Landry Shamit for some reason. Um, <laughs> all these things. Yes. Right. Right. So like, there's money there. Mm-hmm. I just wind up believing part of this is also in the modern NBA, there are two centers that you should give max money to. And they're Nikola Jokic and I'm sorry, three Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony towns. There's no other center I believe is worth the max in the NBA. Yeah. I I tend to believe that. And I, and I've told people like, look, I I just don't see him being worth the max, but on the flip side of that, man, you did spend the first pick in the draft on this guy. And I think if it, it, if it, he wasn't selected number one, this conversation is completely different. And I really think that part is in it. It's like, it's, is it the, the, the sons are like, maybe we made a mistake here. Uh, the first pick in the draft, which I don't think they are necessarily, but it is, it is an interesting dichotomy because they selected him the first in the draft. And I think uh, uh, someone had it yesterday. I think I retweeted it. Like uh, uh, Aiton is the first um, player selected first in the draft to not sign his early extension uh, since Anthony Bennett in 2013. Uh, uh, well, was it 2013? But it, he was drafted in 2013. So I, I was like, that's not great company to be in right here. But once again, it's not Aiton's fault where he was selected. And I don't blame him for wanting the max. I just, from an outside looking in, due to his skill and the fact that he did sacrifice this year, I do think that maybe not necessarily he's not worth the max, but they always have a chance to go back and negotiate with him in the summer. So maybe they come to an agreement then. I don't know. I think there's some, a little too much freaking out, but I think also there's a little bit of, he was, he was the first pick in the draft. And this is why people are kind of looking at this with a side eye. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's worth like, I think it's worth looking at with the side eye. It's fine. Like it's not good. Right. Um, I think the big difference is just ultimately what will this matter? Yeah. You know, it's like, what, what you know, you, you could say like, well, this is just proof of, of how much of a clown show Robert Sarver is. Okay. But they made the finals last year. Yeah. Like they're probably going to be a 50 plus one team this year. I don't want to see them in the playoffs. Yeah. Like that's so I, ultimately this, this thing comes down to does Aiden deserve a max? I think so. He was really great last year. He's put in the work. They built a team where he makes sense. But part of my thing also is he does he he makes sense on this team because of Chris Paul. Right. And Chris Paul's not going to be around in five years. This is yeah. one of the things with the Suns. Their window is now. Their window is now. They'll have eight and four that window. So ultimately, I just don't it's like and, and there's also part of this with the player empowerment era, Jeff, where you know, like the, the big argument against it is you're making him unhappy and he could leave these guys leave anyway yeah. like this is part of the thing with the nuggets they go above and beyond they traded a first round pick to get jeremy grant they offered to match match the money that he got from another franchise yep they were willing they put him as the starting power forward on a team that made the western conference finals they put him on the map mm-hmm. and he left like players complain about how there's no loyalty from the teams it is a two-way street yeah and sure. and no one should expect it like i don't think players should ever expect loyalty from the teams they're not going to get it i don't think the teams can expect loyalty from the players they're not going to get it 
right. and that's fine. That, as long as we're all agreed and upfront on this, I think it's fine. But if DeAndre Aiden in five years, let's say Booker is like, hey, I want to go to, I'm just, you know, he's an unrestricted free agent. And he goes and he's like, I want to be a Laker. And he goes and he joins the Lakers and does the usual thing that everyone does. If DeAndre Aiden's the last remaining member of this core, Chris Paul's retired, Cam Payne's gone, Cam Johnson's gone, Mikhail Bridges is, this, is now the second best player on the team, right? Is Aiden going to re-sign? Probably not. Yeah. So, again, I, I think you wind up with a situation where the team leveraged its assets in the way that it felt was best. Getting Bridges at the value they got him at was a steal. Losing Aiden because they didn't offer him a max – I don't think anyone's going to look back on that and go, what a terrible mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly in this league and where like you, you pointed out, there's only three centers you give that kind of money to. Yeah. And well, I, you don't think he would sign the qualifying offer. No, look, everyone talks about, about Zion with this and just like, everyone keeps waiting on it. Here's what the agent's going to say. Who, let's bear in mind the agent gets a big fat cut of that mm -hmm. the agent's gonna say you suffer an acl and you're coming back at half of this you get to lock in right now you know 200 million dollars right because he's gonna get maxed as long as he's healthy this year he's gonna get maxed somebody will max him yeah. so he's gonna get between 170 and 200 million dollars next year anyway right and so you get you're if you're the agent, you're like, you get 200 guaranteed right now. We just got to put our name on paper. We can figure out the rest of your career after you're young. But right now, you get generational wealth right now, locked in. I don't think anybody else, anybody turns that down. Yeah. I just don't. I just I, I don't think it it ever comes down because the risk is so insanely high in that qualifying offer year. Like it's just not worth it. You get an ACL, you tear your Achilles. It, he's a big man. He suffers a Jones fracture. He hurts his back. Right. And it's all off the table. And this, by the way, is also factoring in again, that centers are at such low value in the league. The Denver Nuggets literally only have one. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's true. Their backup so, center is Jeff Green and Jermichael Green, the Greens. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think... If you ask me, is Zion going to sign the, the qualifying offer? Maybe just because his, his entire approach has been so acerbic and mm -hmm. um, inflammatory. Yeah. Yeah. But even then, especially with Zion, given his injury histories, I just, you're going to have to show me somebody that can make max money that decides to risk everything on a one year playing 82 games. You're going to have to show me it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I don't think there's any chance he signs a QO. Who was the who was the last person to sign? Was it the center from Detroit? Um, oh God, what was his name? And he didn't end up uh, getting a, 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 a huge contract afterwards because it was him and Drummond on the same team. It was when Van I think it was when Van Gundy was the coach, um, and I think he was the last one because I know th uh, Eric Bledsoe threatened to do it in, in Phoenix, and he never did. Here we go. Here we go. Kevin Serafin, Ivan Johnson, yeah. Devin Ebanks, yeah. Luke Herringody, Darius Morris, Nick Young, Marco Bellinelli, Spencer Hawes, Ray Felton, Ben Gordon, 
Mikhail Petrus, Marvin Ely, Michael Olawa Candy, Stromile Swift, back when the deals were entirely different. Like it just like that's yeah. going into 2014. It just doesn't, it really doesn't happen. Yeah. I just <laughs> Greg Monroe did it. I really got to stress Greg this, Monroe. That, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Greg was in a really specific situation though in Detroit. And if he's in again, like what's the best thing for your career being part of a winning team, Aiden has a chance, I, I think in their opinion to win a championship. All right. All right. Are you going to pass up max money for a champ? Like you got everything you want in Phoenix. You just don't get the amount of money right now. Again, as long as he plays the way that he does, he'll get that max offer next year and he'll still get that money with one fewer year. And if he plays awesome, the Suns may be like, hey, you know what? We were wrong. Here's your max. And you can hold on to it and be like, yeah, but you didn't believe in me. And in five years leave, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Right? Like you, you deserve that. Like they make this decision. The Suns are basically saying they're risking damaging the relationship. But I also think it's fine because you're more likely to have a window to win a title now than they will at the end of his next deal. Well, I, I agree too. Uh, so uh, one more subject before I get you out of here. And it's, it's a hard pivot to uh, the circus that is the Sixers and Ben Simmons. Uh, the Sixers suspended uh, Ben Simmons for one game for contract con conduct detrimental to the team. Uh, Simmons um, was apparently loafing at practice. Uh, yesterday, he brought a cell phone and sweatpants into the practice session um so this is out of the, the kind of basically out of the hardened thing although i did harden never had a, had a cell phone and sweatpants as far as i know um this i mean i think this was to me and this is just just my view of it i this was always going to happen I, I think i knew this was going to happen as soon as he got there uh he's go he's just going through what we thought probably he should have done rather than you know do the uh the the old i'm not coming to work thing and i i don't know is do you see this thing do you see him playing this year oh good question i, I think the way that this so okay i'll just give you my whole thing on this um Daryl Morey has worked very diligently since the end of the series to try and put the fires out. And every time that he gets a chance to doc rivers and Joel Embiid basically like throw gasoline and matches. Right. Um, just constantly undermining the, the efforts like doc threw him out of practice today. And look, I get it. I get it. It's like, no, but he was disrespecting practice, blah, blah, blah. And like team concepts and blah, blah, blah. Okay. I get it. You, what did you expect? Like, what mm -hmm. did you expect? Mm -hmm. he made it clear his position this is not the first time that this has happened and daryl morey has made a calculated decision to say we're not going to trade him until we get x value our window is too tight here if we just lose him we're not going to have enough to win the title we have to get return yeah he knows that in december the contracts that were signed back in the summer become eligible to be traded which means about half the league is eligible to be traded then concurrently in the next several days teams are going to suffer injuries right and teams are going to get off to horrible starts and teams are going to start to feel pressure and teams are going to get questions from their owners why are we two and eight right and it's at that point that daryl morey strikes when he's got the ability to generate leverage 
He keeps trying to establish leverage and then is compromised. I will tell you this, a source close to the situation informed me that the Sixers had been asked not to facilitate trade talks since the end of August, that Clutch had asked them not to participate in trade talks. Really? Clutch concurrently elected not to have him attend training camp, not to have him in preseason, and only to report recently in an effort to try and get this thing sorted out. It's obviously gone terribly because he doesn't want to be there. Um, Now, you could say, oh, sure, the Sixers say that. So I checked with two teams and I said, I need, they keep databases of all the chatter that they have. And I asked, can you tell me the last time that you have anything of report from any of your sources around the league on a talk with those guys, with, with the Sixers and Ben Simmons. And both of them said, the last thing that we have is from the Pacers in September. I checked with the Sixers and they said there was no traction on anything with the Pacers. Malcolm Brogdon was extended yesterday for two years, $45 million or four years rather. He is now ineligible to be traded. So Mm -hmm. that tells you where those talks were at. Wow. So um, (laughs) the Sixers front office has made it clear what their position is. Mm -hmm. Clutch has made it clear with Ben Simmons what their position is. And to me, I'm not, look, I'm not excusing Ben Simmons. Like, if you ask me, like, well, what do you think? You think it's right that Ben Simmons does this? I'm like, no, it's just not my business. Like, mm-hmm. no, I don't think he should do this. Like, I think the good thing in sports and being a teammate is like, you show up, you go to work. Yeah. Like, that's, that's me in every walk of life. It's not, everyone says the NBA is different. The, yeah, but they're still humans and they still work. And they still work. And if I'm unhappy at work, I show up and I do my job and I don't screw over the people that I work with. This hurts Ben Simmons' teammates just as much. As well, by the way, Joel Embiid's clown-ass comments about it every single time hurt his teammates just as much because it extends the drama. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The Sixers front office is going to say, it does not matter how this feels, we're going to get the outcome we want. The players and coaches are going to say, this feels awful, resolve it now. Because as you remember, Jeff, that season with Carmel Anthony in 2010, 2011 oh, yeah. was miserable for oh, everyone involved. They were fine, but yeah. there was such a feeling of relief after Melo got traded. Oh, man. They so, were... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this it was. Is, look, you, you can argue how much better a player Carmelo was than Ben, and I can't argue with it, even though I think Ben's the best defensive player in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I just want to be very clear on this. I think Ben Simmons, it's, it's a pretty well-known fact. Simmons is difficult to work with as a quote, difficult personality, which is code for he's an asshole, but it's fine. Um, I'll just say this though. If I'm Ben Simmons and in the lowest moment of my professional career, my coach and my teammate star player threw me under the bus on national television in the post-game interviews, I'm not coming back to work either. Yep. So I don't know how this gets resolved. I think that there's, I'll say this. Everyone in the NBA sphere is like, the Sixers really think they're going to get value back. And they're like, they're going to have to just like, this is a sham. He, they should just trade him for whatever they can get. The problem is all of those people are people that have a vested interest, either in the Sixers being worse or in getting Simmons at a discount. Like, this is the problem. There's no uninterested actors in this entire thing. 
everyone has something to gain in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, my prediction right now, given the events of today, he doesn't play. They tell him he can be away from the team. They don't find him. Because right now he's like, he's got to be like, oh, wait, I told you I didn't want to be here. I show up and now you're mad at me because I'm not engaged enough. And that's that I kind of get. And so I think they tell him to stay away. He winds up getting traded for less than, than he wants just because the team is like, it's distracting. The front office finally ticks a little bit. I think it takes about a month and then he gets dealt somewhere. Um, probably. I would say right now, I actually believe that he's likely to be traded uh, in the Eastern conference. Yeah. That, that I would say lean that way too. You know, I want to say this um, and um, Matt has to, Matt has to do, uh, he's, he's, he's my famous friend. So he has to do a radio show here soon. I appreciate you, you coming on. Um, I'll say this and then you can comment on it. Um, I, 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 the only person surprised that uh, what was going on at practice today was Glenn Rivers. And I, the more I see Doc, the more I get kind of sick of the, the act. And the other side of it is Joel Embiid. I know Philly fans are getting their schadenfreude from it, but I got to say, he has not helped this at all. And in hindsight, for some people, maybe because they won't feel any blowback for this, they've got to get some shit for this because I, I, I swear I've never seen this on, on a team. Two guys throw a guy under a bus as thoroughly as they have Ben Simmons. Yeah, I, I understand you're frustrated with him and he, he, he crapped the bed against the, the Hawks. But man, way to not be a teammate. And I, I, I've never been able to get that out of my head. Yeah, I mean, this is my thing. This is exactly my thing is I'm just like, I, I, there is this culture, Jeff, in the world of, well, you can disagree but he's right. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like you being honest or correct does not change you being an asshole. You don't always have to say everything that you think. Like, this is the big thing. There's no good guys in in this situation. There's none. Okay. Like, you know, I understand who the Sixers front office is. Like they have like Daryl Morey's made it very clear in his NBA career, how he approaches things. And he's been very successful and he doesn't necessarily care what people think. And that's one of the reasons he's successful. However, like he's putting the other, this is who I care about. I care about Danny Green, Seth Curry, Tobias Harris, uh, Matisse Teibel, mm-hmm. Maxi, Isaiah Joe. I care about the rest of those guys in that team because they're just along for the ride. They're at the whims of people with more power than they have. Right. Uh, Embiid has always been like this. He loves throwing down Instagram insults when it's Andre Drummond. He doesn't play in any of the games versus Nikola Jokic. Mm-hmm. He uh, throws, he, he, people have argued that he like owned up to it. The correct answer, he said, he mentioned his turnovers in his post-game press conference last spring. The correct answer to all this is about Simmons is, yeah, Ben should have shot. I shouldn't have turned the ball over. Like that's on me. If I'm better, we win that game. That's what you say, because Nikola Jokic, after they lost that series to the Spurs, walked into or um, to the Blazers, rather, walked into his coach's office and apologized, even though he had no reason to. The difference between those two, look, then we're in Denver, we cover the Nuggets, and there's always going to be accusations of bias. 
if this was switched, I would be saying the exact same thing that the Sixers guy is the one who gets it and the Nuggets need to, need to get their guy to understand that. But mm-hmm. he doesn't. So here we are. And <laughs> messy and it's ugly on all sides. There are no good sides here. No one is good here. Nope. And it's going to be a continued mess until either an offer comes through or something reaches a, a boiling. Someone's going to have to break. Doc Rivers has made it clear from this morning he's not going to stop holding Simmons accountable, mm-hmm. which maybe he shouldn't. No. Embiid's made it clear he's not going to shut up about him. And Maury has made it clear he's not dealing in for less than his value. And yeah. Simmons has made it clear he's not going to engage. It, this is chicken. Who's going to break first? That's, that's really all there is. Yeah, this is very, very, very true. And you summed it up very well, my friend. Okay. Well, I got to get you to your radio interview. Thank you so much for coming on, uh, my man. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll have you on again soon. And uh, good luck for uh, being down at Ball Arena this season. And uh, hopefully the Nuggets uh, get that, uh, bring home that, uh, that, that championship that you bet on. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we very much love that for my bank account as well. For the same. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jeff. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone. And we'll be talking to you soon. Goodbye.